We turn again to Colossians chapter 4 as uh, we make our way towards the end of this book that we've been studying and involved in uh, since back in uh, March and April. We now have come to the fourth chapter, but Paul is continuing to teach us what sanctification looks like. How does the fact that we have been justified in Christ, that we are being sanctified, and in that process of being sanctified, of living in the righteous garments of Christ, what does that look like? So he's dealt with, back in chapter 3, Verses 12 on, the putting on then as God's chosen ones, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, put on love, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, be thankful, letting the word of Christ dwell in us, teaching each other in whatever we do in word or deed, all for the glory of Christ. How do we live out that sanctified life Within a marriage, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, do not be harsh with them. How do we live it out in a family? Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, who have the responsibility, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. How do you live that out in terms of uh, your work situations? As we dealt with a few weeks ago, bond servants, obey in everything, those who are your earthly masters. Chapter 4.1, masters, treat your bond servant justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. How do you live out the sanctified life as an individual in this world? Okay, so we all are individuals, we are all believers in Jesus Christ. As, as a congregation, we, we look to that or we think about it in this way, all those who have been justified in Christ are in the process of being sanctified. What does that look like for each one of us? Because not everybody is a wife, not everybody's a husband. Somebody may be a child, but their parents may be dead or maybe you never had children. Maybe the bond servant, master servant doesn't, or master doesn't fit. Okay, there is a way of life we're called to as believers, all of us. That goes back to chapter 3, 12 through 17. But now Paul says, no, there's more. There's more. We are to be those who continue steadfastly in prayer. And how we are to pray. That's what we dealt with last Lord's Day. So now we come to chapter 4, verse 5. And we'll read 5 and 6 as our text this morning. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the breathed out word of God to us this morning. Let's bow in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, 
in this time of turmoil, in this time of uncertainty, in this time of discontent and uncertainty, with the coronavirus and all the things that go along with it, we sometimes wonder how do we live a sanctified life? How can we be a light on the top of a hill that shines to the rest of this world who are in the midst of uh, uncertainty? Lord, you have given us those instructions on how to be a, a sanctified person in this world and how to be sanctified. Lord, we pray that you will give Pastor Bob words of wisdom. You will help him to explain to us exactly what it means, especially in this day and age. We just ask you uh, all these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. And amen. So we want to look at two things, the two main focuses that Paul gives to us in verses 5 and 6. One, you're walking. Secondly, you're talking. Paul is saying to us that the sanctified Christian life goes down so much to the core of our being. It has something to say. The sanctified life talks about our walking in this world and our talking, our speech, how we communicate in this world. Obviously, I think most of us are aware of the fact that the term walking as it's used in Scripture is used two different ways, right? So you have, for example, a passage that might say, and Jesus was, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. If I ask you the question, what, what does the Bible mean by the fact that Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee? You'd say, well, I think it means he was putting one foot in front of the other as they went around the Sea of Galilee. Exactly. That's what the word walking means in that circumstance or in that situation. But the Bible also uses the term walk to, to describe living to describe our conduct, to describe our behavior. Now, I, I know we know that, okay? But rather than just assuming, one, that we all know it, two, I want to show you that the Bible does teach that. We, I mean, I can say it, but without backing it up and saying, well, the Bible teaches that the word walk means to live and you know, somebody says, well, where was that found? And you go, I'm not sure Pastor Bob said it. Well, Pastor Bob saying it is not nearly on the same plane or of the same degree of importance or that which is required that the Bible says it. So, keep at Colossians chapter 4. We're going to start back, and, and this is just a sampling. I don't think you wanted to listen to all 75 of them. So let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is the passage in which God repeated the law to the people of Israel as they were about to enter the promised land. So it, it's very fitting because they've, in, in a sense, the pattern is they've been justified, they've been led out of Egypt by the blood 
of the Passover lamb. Now they're about to enter into the land of Canaan. They're about to live as God's people. And God is coming to them this second time saying, this is how you are to live. And he gives them the law. But if you go to chapter 5, down to verse 33. You shall walk. Well, let me go back to 32. Okay. You shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you. Now, I, I don't think anywhere in the Bible God tells the people of Israel how to do this kind of walking. I don't think there's a verse that says, when thou walkest, walk one foot, plant it, then pick up the other foot, set it down, and do it again and again. That, that walking is not described. But what Moses is saying, you shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you. What does he mean by walk? He means, obviously, to live, to do as he used in verse 32, the verse previous. Go with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and we'll be at verse 105. So the psalmist writes, 119, 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I don't think the psalmist is talking about a flashlight, right? That's not what the psalmist is saying. What the psalmist is saying is God's word is that which informs him, that God's word is that which teaches him how he is to walk, how he is to live. Or we can go to Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Those of you who grew up in the CRC and went to Calvinettes would know this verse, Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. To walk humbly. Right? I don't think God's saying... I don't think Micah's saying, now make sure you, you always walk with your head down and your shoulders slumped and, you know, kind of dejected-like looking. Just, just make sure when you, wherever you go, when you go to Myers, just make sure you're, you're walking like this because you need to walk humbly. No, he, he's talking about walking, living, live humbly before the Lord, recognizing God's greatness, God's power, God's deliverance. Recognizing your own sinfulness as well. But it's not only the Old Testament. Go with me to the book of Galatians. Galatians. Chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. Meaning, what? Live being guided, being directed, allowing the power of the Holy Spirit to direct your life, to control your life. 
Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up for us. I don't think he's talking about taking a stroll, okay, out on the pier at Grand Haven, hand in hand with, with the person you, you love. I, I don't think he's saying walk in love. That, that's not what he's talking about. Go for a nice stroll on the beach. No, he's saying live a life that is overwhelmed by love for others. Verse 8, Ephesians 5, yeah. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then he repeats it again in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Paul, if you go now to Colossians chapter 2, has stated this previously as well. Colossians 2, 6, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Paul now comes back to this and is saying, walk, walk. Part of our sanctified life is how we live, our conduct, our actions from day to day, how we move about in this world. But then Paul says, okay, that part of the sanctified life is walking, living in this world. How are we supposed to do that? Okay, Brother Nate prayed about that a few minutes ago. Okay, we we live in this world, in this culture, in this environment of, of which we are a part today. We're in this world. Right? We're not part of the world, but we're in the world. It's taking place around us. How do we live? How do we walk? How do we conduct ourselves as sanctified believers in this world? Paul gives us a couple of things. One, walk in wisdom. Ah, our walking, our living is to be done wisely. What does that mean? How how does one live wisely in this world? The Greek word that's used here is a word, uh, sophia, from which we get the idea of philosophy. And when you think of somebody who is a philosopher, what are they? They're a thinker. What Paul is simply saying is this, live thinking about what you're doing. Live thoughtfully. Use your head. Use your mind. See, it's not just our hearts and soul that has been sanctified. Right? Christ doesn't just sanctify our soul. He sanctifies our entire being. He sanctifies our mind. So Paul is basically saying, use your sanctified mind when you live out there in the world. How do you conduct yourself? You conduct yourself wisely. Take thought of your actions. 
Is this the right thing to be doing? Is this the right way to be living? Is this the right action? But it's a little deeper than that. Wisely in the sense of, in what, am I, in what I am doing, drawing others to Christ. In how I am living my life, are others being drawn closer to Jesus Christ? Are they, are they having a desire to learn more about Christ because of the life that they see you living? So ask yourself a question. I'll ask it, but you ask it of yourself. Does your neighbor know you are a Christian? Okay, does your neighbor know you are a Christian? First of all, just answer that in your mind, yes or no. Yes, yes. Okay. If your neighbor knows you are a Christian, I'll put it another way. Does your coworker know you are a Christian? Do, do the kids you go to school with know you are a Christian? Do they know it? You need then, because you are a Christian, and they know you are a Christian, they know it, you need to act wisely. You need to act very thoughtfully. You need to act very carefully. Because your life is witnessing to them what Christ is. See, they, you may walk over to their house and say, you know, I, you know I, I'm your neighbor, I'm a... I'm, I'm a Christian. I, this is the most important book in the world. I, I want to give you a copy free. Okay, thanks. They may never read it. But every day they watch you. Every day they see you. Every day they're looking at your house. Every day they're watching your actions. The only Christ that your neighbors may ever see or hear is you. What are they seeing? What are they hearing? What do they observe? See, that's what Paul is saying. In this world, live wisely. Live wisely. With that understanding. So, let, 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 let me just dig the hole a little deeper. Okay? I've not gone by any of your houses, so I don't know if this is in your yard. Okay? I don't know. I don't know if it's there or not. But I'd want you to consider it, whether it should be, after what I'm going to say. Your neighbor knows you're a Christian. 
my governor is an idiot. Pure moron. Do you think that conveys Christ? Do you, do you think that, that your neighbor... See, I, I think we all we smirk a little bit. We smile. We may even... But does it belong in my yard? As my statement, as my testimony. This is what I believe. I believe this so strongly, I'm going to put it in my yard. How strongly do I believe Christ? Where's that in my yard? Where do I see that? See, because they're watching. See, the world is watching. The world is looking. They know you're a Christian. What is a Christian like? Oh, a Christian uses terms like idiot and moron. That's exactly what I thought Christians were like. Mean-spirited. How do we live? Well, we're people, you know, who believe that cleanliness is next to godliness, but look at the junk heap that my neighbors have to look at. Does it testify Christ? Does that really speak of Christ? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. let me tell you about Jesus. Okay, remember the old adage, right? If you're going to talk the talk, you better walk the walk. Well, here's Paul hitting us all right straight in the face and saying, if you're going to do that, notice, before I say how you speak, I'm going to address you about how you walk. What are you conveying? What do you convey? When you really could do a much better job, but you're just willing to cut the corners because it's Thursday, it's four o'clock, and it's a holiday weekend, and I need to get out of here. So I know I could do this much better, and I know it would look much better, and I know it's the right thing to do, but I'm not going to do that. And your little 18-year-old, 19-year-old, just graduated high school who's tailing along with you, learning how to do this job, watches. He's not a Christian, he's not a believer, and he watches. And he says, so that's what a Christian does. When they're in a hurry, they cut corners. Oh. See, sanctified living involves everything about life. I don't know if I can do No, you can't. Nor can I. But you see, to be a sanctified believer means the Holy Spirit is living in us. The Holy Spirit God is living within us. So what does sanctified living look like? Sanctified living looks like wisdom. What is the most wise thing to do? 
But what else does Paul say? He not only tells us we have to be wise, but he addresses specifically toward outsiders. His concern is primarily the unbeliever. The outsider here means those who are outside of Christ. Those who do not know Christ. Those who are not Christian. Those who are not believers. Paul is is putting this center point and saying, look, as a sanctified believer, as one who knows Christ, as one who has been justified in the blood of Jesus Christ, who has the Holy Spirit living in them, the, the, the driving force behind their living from day to day is that they want to live wisely in this world toward outsiders, toward those who know not Christ. Now, I don't think Paul is saying, well, you can act any way you want towards Christians. I don't think Paul is saying that. But Paul is saying is, you got to understand, folks, that as Christians, we are under a microscope. And as our brother prayed, you talk about being under a microscope today in this culture, in this society, you bet we're being examined. You bet we're being watched. You bet our lives are being observed by the world, by unbelievers. And how we act in this day and age becomes primary importance. How is the church of Jesus Christ going to respond in a world of growing agitation, of growing anger? Now I want you to think about the context. Paul's not talking about the 15,000 member megachurch there in Colossa that overwhelms Colossa and basically has control and has political power and the mayor's a Christian and all the councilmen are a Christian and they've adopted Christian philosophy and Christian rules. This is a little house church and they're surrounded by pagans. They don't have many friends, right? The accusations that are coming to them is that these Christians are atheists. You say, well, Why did they charge him with being atheist? Because they worship some God they can't see. They were charged with being cannibals because it was said that they eat the body and drink the blood of Christ. They were charged with being unpatriotic. Why? Because they refused to offer incense to the emperor or for the emperor. So they're thought of as atheists. They're thought of as unpatriotic. They were thought of as cannibals. And they were thought of as immoral. Why? Because they always met in secret. Paul says, be careful. Be wise. Be wise how you live there in Colossae. He says that to you and I. See, that's the living, breathing word. That's the alive word. This isn't a word just to Colossa. It's a word 
to little farms. It's a word to the church of Jesus Christ today. Be wise. Man, there's all sorts of things being thrown out there in the world about the church. Be wise. Understanding, verse 5, making the best use of the time. The, the way in which this comes off in the Greek, I would explain it this way. There are bargain basement prices being offered on hunting equipment tomorrow at Cabela's. Cheaper than you've ever seen. Hmm. Maybe I should go to Cabela's tomorrow. Some of you as hunters and fishermen say, hmm, maybe I'll even take some time off work. Those sound like pretty good deals. Oh, look at that. They got exactly the bow I've been looking for. Oh, yeah, I'm going. I'm going. The Greek word here means to buy up something. To buy up something. To have such a passion for something that it's like, listen, live wisely in this world with unbelievers, with the, those who know not Christ. Making the most of every opportunity. Don't let the bargain pass you by. Don't let the sale pass you by. Don't let that which is being offered at the market pass you by. Get there, get there, get there quick, get there early. Don't wait, don't delay. You all know what would happen as hunters, right? If they had that bargain basement price on that bow you absolutely want and they open at 7 a.m. and you think, oh, I'll just go after work at 4, you know what's going to happen. There is going to be no bow. You're going to go stand in line at 5 o'clock maybe even. Paul is saying, is that the way you are passionate about living Christ before an unbelieving world? Do you have that kind of passion? New phone on the market, bargain basement prices. You going to be there? A lot of you would. You'd be there. Young people would be there. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll sleep overnight there. Man, I'll camp out there. Because why? It's such a deal. This is the time. This is the right time. Paul is saying, that's what it is in the world in which we live. This is the right time. Live. Live that sanctified, wise life in this world because you understand the time in which we live. But it's not only, right? It's not only walk in wisdom towards outsiders making the best use of the time. It's also let your speech always be gracious. Let your speech. Here is the requirement for how we as believers speak. The words that come out of our mouth are to be words of grace. Words. Oh yeah, you see, he, 
He says always, doesn't he? Let your speech always be gracious. Not let your speech sometimes be gracious. Not let your speech once in a while be gracious. But always, always be gracious. Regardless of the circumstances. See, the circumstances don't change the requirement that as a sanctified believer in Christ, we are to speak graciously. Regardless of the persons involved. We are to speak graciously. That's the requirement. What is gracious speech? What what does that mean? Well, non-gracious speech would be abusive, cutting, vindictive, boorish, brutish, earthy. Gracious speech is loving and truthful. How does Paul say it in Ephesians 4.15? Speaking the truth in love. Want to hear gracious speech in the most difficult of circumstances? How do you respond to a world and to a culture that is opposed to you so much they nail you to a cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Our speech is to be gracious. See, and that's not just using the nice words while underneath we're cutting like crazy. Right? That's not just being, you know, having the pious language on top. Okay? That's, that's, it, it's not like the, the fluff on top of the lemon cream pie. Right? It's not just fluff on top, but underneath. Oh, we're so angry. We're so mad. We could tear him to shreds. But I'm a Christian, so I got to say the right things. That's not what Paul is saying. That's not sanctified living. Let your speech Always be gracious. For that which proceedeth out of the mouth comes from where? The heart. Let let it be true. Let it be genuine. Let it be honest. Let it be real. And then there's an additive. Let your speech always be gracious, but it needs to be seasoned with salt. Not corrupt. See, salt is the preservative, right, of that day. It's not the corroder. It doesn't eat away. Let your speech always be seasoned with salt. Not that you're trying to eat away. Not that you're trying to tear down. That's not, not that you're trying to belittle. Not that you're trying to dis, be dismissive. But you're trying to preserve. You're trying to preserve a relationship. You're trying to preserve communication. You're trying to preserve an opportunity to further talk with that outsider about Christ. But if you come off in the negative, if you come off without that corrosive type attitude where we're just trying to to wear them away, They're not going to want to talk to you again. So let your speech always be gracious so that you have continual opportunities to speak of Christ. 
that it preserves, that it is whole, that it is pure. But salt functions in another way as well. It's flavorful. Okay, today we got all sorts of stuff we add to food. For, for them, it basically comes down to salt. And the idea was to add some salt, to, to add some flavor that you desired the next bite. That it wasn't so stale, that it wasn't so bland. See, think about a conversation with an unbeliever. Do you leave them with enough salt that they're going, I hope that person calls me again. I hope they stop by again. I hope they walk over again. And we can continue this conversation because there was something there, something in the way they spoke, something in the way they talked. Something in the way they conduct themselves draws me to want to know more. See, Paul is not saying here, look, God chooses, God elects, God justifies, God sanctifies. You don't have to do a single thing. Just sit on your hands the rest of your life. It's all up to God. Yes, it is. It is all up to God. But up to God means you and I need to be walking wisely in this world. And we need to be speaking graciously. You know, the number of times that, when it, see, when I think about this passage and I think about the number of times in my life that I have responded inappropriately with what I have said. Maybe it was to a cash person at Myers. Maybe it was to somebody else uh, in, in another circumstance. And, and I look at it and I say, I wonder if I had been more gracious, if that would have led to a conversation about Christ. But because I was so concerned that they had 22 items in their cart and not 20 in the checkout line at Myers, I just felt compelled I had to say something. And there goes off that Grand Valley student thinking as I wear my God Promises t-shirt. Huh, so that's what Christians are like. Because they know not Christ. And they're not going to read the Bible but they're going to read and they're going to listen to Bob Van Manen. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person, so that you know how to answer. Three quick things. One, it's learning how to answer. Learning to figure out a person's situation before you address the situation. Let, let me just, I, this, this will be a little blunt and it may 
hit, but no matter what example I use, it, it, it will do that, okay? So I have no one in mind, no preconceived person in the back of my head. So let's suppose you strike up some sort of conversation with an individual you have no clue who they are. You're just in a circumstance where you're, you're just striking up a circumstance. And the person says to you, okay, because it was just on news that some famous person just committed suicide. And you respond, well, I think everybody who commits suicide goes to hell. What if that person's husband committed suicide last year? What if their child had committed suicide? What if their mom or dad had? See, the, the question is not the theology. The question is, is that the wisest thing to know without knowing the person's situation? Well, I think COVID's a bunch of bunk, and that person just had somebody die. They just watched through a window their mother or father die and breathe their last. Do you think, you think that's wise? Or do you think there needs to be some learning? That rather than impulsively answering, we learn. We learn about people. We learn about their situation. We learn about our neighbors. We, we are wise. We are careful in how we live. Learning. And is there knowledge in our answer? In other words, do we really know what we're talking about? Are we throwing out some things and some ideas, but we don't know the Word of God well enough to be able to back that up? Do, do we just have some assumed knowledge, but we really don't have practical knowledge of the Word? How much do we really know of this book? How much do we really know of God's truth? How much do we really study it? You want to know a good place to learn to do this? Exactly what we're telling you is a, is a Bible study. It's a great place to learn it. Why? Because it's in a measured environment. You, you get to learn to do this with fellow believers around you. See, it's different than worship. In worship, you sing, but we don't really have an exchange about this. That's not what worship is about. But Bible says the opportunity for you to say something, and people go, I don't think that's the right way to put it. I think people would not get that. That, that, that probably needs to be soothed down. Or on the other hand, that's a little too weak. You need to be a little stronger with that. See, it, it's... Paul is saying that you may know how to answer each person. What did Paul say? I become all things to all people. What's he saying? I learn a little bit. I just don't come on the scene and repent. I learn a little bit. I still may say repent, and I'll still get to repent and believe in Jesus Christ, 
Do you know, sometimes I just got to look at that altar to that unknown God and think, how do I get this message across? But you also have to know the reason for your answer, your motive. Why? Why do you and I want to walk wisely? Why do you and I want to speak graciously, seasoned with salt? Why do we want to do that? Well, I want to prove I'm right. I got the right view. I got the right opinion. So I'm going to share it because I know I'm right. Or is it? Jesus Christ died for me. I've been in that darkness. I know what the darkness is. And by God's grace and through the blood of Jesus Christ, he has brought me out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I cannot help but speak of Christ's love for me. What motivates you? to speak graciously and to walk wisely. Is it not the love of Christ that so overwhelms our life that the Spirit is so desirous to glorify Christ that that Spirit that dwells within us causes us, moves us to walk, to live wisely in this world and to speak graciously in this world. And God's people say, amen. Father, we thank you for your word. It's a challenging word. It's a couple of short verses tucked here into the book of Colossians. And we, we might easily, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Lord, there is so much there. There's so much of the gospel, so much of Christ. So much of our call, so much to what true missions is to be about. So much about what our Christian life is to look like. Oh, Father, may your spirit richly dwell within us so that we may be the people that we desire to be. Those, Father, that bring glory and honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name, God's people say, amen.